tiny business is not about the size of your business, the number of your employees. You know, my business is a seven-figure business. That's why I've grown it to be. But I didn't grow it to be hundreds of millions of dollars or even tens of millions of dollars. I kept it very focused and very managed to the size I wanted it to be to create the change I wanted to see and to deliver what I considered enough or a good income for my family and myself, right? Mm-hmm. And also to provide for all the employees and everybody who works as part of either eco bags or as part of the supply chain. Welcome to this encore interview from Forbes Books at ForbesBooks.com and the Women Presidents Organization, WPO, at WomenPresidentsOrg.com. I'm here with Sharon Rowe. She is the CEO and founder of EcoBags. It's EcoBags.com on Instagram at EcoBags underscore US. And she's at Sharon Rowe underscore Rowe is R-O-W-E. Sharon, you have a place in history and a place in my heart because of what you do at EcoBags. And and you've been doing this for a long time. So tell us about EcoBags and really maybe start with how you founded the company way back in 1989. About 28 years ago, I was living in upstate New York City, is what we call it, upstate Manhattan. And I started to notice how ridiculous and wasteful the single-use plastic bags were. I decided that I didn't want to use them anymore and didn't have any alternatives that were available to me. I remembered using reusable bags in Europe It was also at the same time that I really wanted to stop doing the work that I was doing with a firm downtown. I just had a baby, was recently married, and I wanted to find a way to make a living doing something that was really important to me, something that really mattered. I didn't know that it could be done. I had no social set that could inform me. I did not even have any business connections, but I decided to start this business because other people were curious about what I was doing when I went to the store, which was bringing reusable bags. In other words, you'd Um, show up at the store, you'd walk in with your bags, which is more common today, but not as common as it should be. Not common at all that way back when. And people would be so what are you doing and why are you doing that? And I would explain, I, I want to reduce the amount of plastic in my life. And So that was enough of a taste for me to say, huh, maybe this can be a business. Maybe I can actually, you know, clean up the environment one bag at a time, clean up the planet and make a living for myself because I had to do, I I knew I wanted to use business as the engine. Of course, I did more than that after I got good good vibes, let's say, from people in the stores. I went to uh, sneaker net, as they call it, and I knocked on the doors of a lot of retailers and I said, I have this idea. It's called reusable bags. Would you be interested? And overwhelmingly, I got a yes. So So you would go to companies and ask them if they would be interested and they would have their names printed on the bags and then sell them for their customers or give them away? What was the plan? Yeah, initially, no. Initially, what I did is I went to stores with the original bag I started with, which was the French filet, which is a net bag that crunches down to fit in your back pocket, but expands to hold up to 40 pounds. They were used all over Europe, actually all over the world. There's any number of names for them. Um, And I went to stores with this item, which is now a fashion item, if you can believe it, and said, are you interested in this? They were colorful. They were sturdy. They weren't that expensive. And people in retail stores, fashion stores said, sure. So that's where I started. Now, very quickly, it morphed into us being very popular in the natural products industry, which was just starting at that point, because there was a lot of focus on natural, on clean living, organic and how to be really less wasteful 
in all aspects. So that's where we started to plug in, and that's when we wound up working with a lot of natural product stores, and that's when companies started coming to us, or retailers and companies, saying, oh, we love the netted bags, but we really like the canvas bags because we can put our name on it. So that become became you know a product extension basically. Sure, same same producing the same result, which is eliminating the need for plastic bags. Right, the messaging it really was the product was the messenger, right? The symbol for the act of saying no to single use plastic bags, which we hoped would be also the educator, so that when people use their own bags, brought them to the store time and time again, hopefully not forgetting them because people always said that was the number one obstacle, they would forget them. They would then say, huh, I don't want to purchase all this stuff that's overpackaged. So yes. it's, it's really an informant. It's an informed shopping person, conscious shopping. I'm talking with Sharon Rowe. She's the CEO and founder of EcoBags, EcoBags.com. She's also the author of the book, The Magic of Tiny Business. You don't have to go big to make a great living. And we're going to talk about the book as well, Sharon. But let's focus on EcoBags for a moment. Because we're doing this for the WPO on Forbes Books Radio podcast, I'm curious to know, when you started this business, a, was it the first time you had ever started a business? And B, were you afraid? Were you, was it uh, an adventure? I mean, what was your mindset? Because it can be quite an intimidating thing to do. Right. When I started the business, yes, it was the first business I started myself. It wasn't the first business I was part of in a startup phase. I'd been with another business. A friend of mine started a video training company, and I had been there at the very beginning when we were just working off basically recipe cards. You know, there wasn't even the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Index cards. And also, see, I was trained as an actor, so I was really familiar with rejection and working really hard and then, you know, nothing coming of it. As I like to say, and I have said in the book, I was really good at filling seats, but not my bank account. So I I was no stranger to failing. It was never comfortable, but I was okay being comfortable, uncomfortable, <laughs> comfortably uncomfortable is what I'd like to say, starting on my own because I knew if I started something on my own, I'd have, I'd be in charge of my time. Mm -hmm. And that was really important to me. And in terms of priorities, I wanted to make a really good living, but I also wanted to make sure that I could make it in the time that I wanted to. I wanted to be the person who managed that. Did you envision in 1989 when you started EcoBags that almost 30 years later, you'd still be running a company called EcoBags with great success? No, not a clue. <laughs> <laughs> not a clue. And and there were a number of times when I almost bailed, you know, along the way. Um, in the early days, I mean, the company was doing well, but it wasn't making enough money because there wasn't enough traction on the idea of reusable bags. That was before... Um, a lot of the bag laws, the grassroots movements, et cetera. But now you fast forward to when I was on Oprah in 2008. That was a groundswell of activity. And now there's a huge zero waste movement. So we're, you know, just by not stopping, <laughs> just by simply staying in the game and staying profitable, we've been able to pick up when the next wave comes and ride, and if not ride the trends, be at the front of the trend. You mentioned something that has fascinated me personally, and that is, um, I don't think I'm the only one with a bunch of reusable bags in the trunk of my car, mm -hmm. but I have a real problem remembering to get them out of the car before I walk into the store. Is that a challenge that you at your company or in your industry, people are thinking about and trying to overcome? 
Uh, well, you know, do you shop at Costco or Sam's Club? I yeah. do. Yeah. So they don't give you bags. Yeah, I really, I actually, it's funny. I was, I was at Costco yesterday and as I was walking out, kind of juggling my stuff because I didn't ask them for a box mm-hmm. and I saw a stack of boxes, I thought to myself, you know, I don't think Costco gets the kudos it deserves for not using bags. Yeah. But I also know that when I go to traditional supermarkets, I'm often standing there paying for my goods and thinking I forgot to bring in my bags. It just seems like there should, there should be a way to kind of, connect that last few feet so that people remember to take their bags in. Well, Whole Foods, and we did a lot of work with Whole Foods, still do, said no bags, and they Mm -hmm. stopped doing plastic bags. Trader Joe's stopped doing it. I know Kroger's is going plastic bag free. But Um, there's still still paper bags, which is better, but it's not as good as reusing. That is true. That is true. In terms of behavioral shifts, I will produce a with a clean supply chain, responsibly and sustainably made bags that will last for up to 15 to 20 years. If you can't remember them, that you got to work on that. <laughs> All right. You I'm work- not putting that on you. I'm putting it on you. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You work on you. <laughs> I'll work on this. But I mean, what we're finding now is that there's a whole new generation of unbelievably committed people who, if they forgot their bag, will walk out of the store with the thing in their hand or in their backpack. Yes. Yes, I mean, and really, I, and I often get, do that. In, in California, yeah. for instance, you have to pay for a bag, which I exactly. love Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And some people call it a tax on the poor. I just, no, that's wrong. First of all, it's wasteful, the plastic bags. And secondly, it costs us money. I mean, it's a hidden cost. It's a yes. cost of cleanup. It's, it's a scourge in the environment. You go from California where you say, no, I don't want a bag because I don't want to pay, a, I don't know if it's 10 cents or whatever. It's not the money. It's the principle. Uh, but then you go to a state where they don't have that kind of law and you walk out after rejecting a bag and it feels very strange. People are looking at you like, why are you walking out of the store with a gallon of milk in your hand? You must be stealing it. It's just right, a cultural but you know shift. What? Yeah, it's a cultural. And look, in Ireland, they passed the tax. We were actually part of that. And also uh, in Modbury, England, we were around for that and participated. People get it. Ireland reduced their use of plastics by like 85%. And they, mm. and they made the shift. I mean, it's like when we started, I, I like to say when I first started, a few people would notice. And then let's say 10 years later, you know, three out of 10 people in line. Now, depending on where you live, it might be the entire line has their own bags. Yes. Yes. And- it's just a cultural shift. And again, if you see what it creates, the waste that it creates, that's when you make the shift also to not purchase. Because the bigger issue now, too, is the plastic wrapped cauliflower, the single wrapped apples, the, mm-hmm. you know, encased salad greens. I mean, it's in, it, there's a kind of insanity and I totally get it from a, a warehousing and profit perspective. I know it. I know that. I mean, yeah. I know why it's done in terms of efficiencies, but I also know that on the back end, what we haven't done, what a lot of countries, mostly Germany and the EU have, EU have done is they found a way to reduce rethink, reuse, and recycle. Yes. Right? And you're bringing up a really good point, which is you started out with with uh, reusable shopping bags, but you've actually broadened your product line tremendously, including oh, yeah. looking at produce bags. I mean, bags that are designed for you to put produce in them so you don't have to use the little produce bags at the market. Right. And, and it's a carrying system. It's, a, it's yes. a, an approach. It's a conscious carrying system if you want to, you know, put something around it like that. And we actually introduced produce bags in ni- 1990. Hmm. 
So I want to change gears here a little bit. I'm talking with Sharon Rowe. She's the CEO and founder of EcoBags at EcoBags.com on Instagram. They're at EcoBags underscore US. She's at Sharon Rowe underscore. You're also the author of The Magic of Tiny Business. You don't have to go big to make a great living. And, and obviously, this is very related to the founding and the success of your company because mm-hmm. you started this company, I guess we could say, as a social entrepreneur. And you've learned a lot of things, I'm sure, in the almost 30 years since EcoBags was founded. Tell us what drives your passion as a social entrepreneur. Talk to us about your decision to make the company a certified B Corporation, and then tell us how you came to write the book. Wow. Okay. All in one sentence. No, um, I, what has driven the company since the very, very beginning was that I wanted to work on something that mattered to me. I was really aware, having done a lot of what I call job jobs, that you can really work hard at things that don't connect, you don't connect to, and you can work equally as hard at things that you do connect to. And ultimately, if you stick with the things that, that you really connect to, and you're really smart about business, key business rules, you can turn that thing that really matters to you. And I'm not just talking about passion. I'm talking about something that's really tied to what you're core beliefs are. You can turn that into a profitable business and you can make an impact because you're passionate about it. Like people would meet me and say, are you passionate about reusable bags? I'm No, what I'm passionate about is clean air and clean water. That's what drives me. That's what I don't want to see wasted. Our natural resources are beyond, right? In the world, I'm not even just talking the U.S. That's what drives me. And that's what inspires other people when they talk to me and they go, oh my gosh, and you did this company and inspired so much change. Well, Again, the bag was the tool for the change, and the business was the engine or the platform for good, for creating a culture shift. Now, did I know that I would create a culture shift? I thought I'd make some minor waves. I had no idea that people would turn and look at me years later and call me, you know, a pioneer. <laughs> I was the just mother one of foot the into, reusable shopping bag. Yeah, yeah, the, the bag lady, right. I was just putting one step in front of the other, and I'm not like orthodox about this. I realize we live in the world, but I say if you can do as much as you possibly can and and commit to that, you will inspire that kind of change in other people. And I can't tell you how many people come up to me and say, oh my God, every time I think of you, I'm like embarrassed because I forgot my bag or whatever. And I'm like, well, at least I'm the little, you know, person on their shoulder that they think of. And then the reason I wrote the book, The Magic of Tiny Business, is because, first of all, Tiny business is not about the size of your business, the number of your employees. You know, my business is a seven-figure business. That's why I've grown it to be. But I didn't grow it to be hundreds of millions of dollars or even tens of millions of dollars. I kept it very focused and very managed to the size I wanted it to be to create the change I wanted to see and to deliver what I considered enough or a good income for my family and myself. Right, mm-hmm. and also to provide for all the employees and everybody who works as part of either eco bags or as part of the supply chain. You know, I didn't feel like I needed to be a unicorn in order to do this. I understood that just like like a coffee shop that's a great coffee shop in your neighborhood that serves really great coffee and unbelievable muffins can make an impact in that community because it's it's making an impact of quality. I could do that with an idea and use business to support that idea to and expand and make those changes, but I didn't have to be part of every change. 
And I so, can inspire other companies basically to to um, compete with me, <laughs> which yes. I did. <laughs> yes. So that's an interesting thing to go you know in that direction. But I didn't need to be the only. In fact, I didn't want to be the only. I just wanted to be a player in much the same way as acting. I wanted to be a player on that stage. Mm. Well, and in fact, when we go back to the impact of reusable shopping bags, the more players there are, the better because it's almost an unlimited marketplace, right? I mean, there yeah. is there ever going to be, is the world ever going to say we have too many reusable shopping bags? I, I tend to doubt that's going to happen anytime they soon. They may not, yeah. And so then I we distinguish ourselves, and this goes to the magic of tiny business, by being really laser-focused on what's important. And what's important includes having a very clean supply chain. And because mm -hmm. we've had a very clean supply chain since 1989, and we've made sure since the beginning that we didn't put profit above fair wage and fair labor, that's why we were able to very easily fold into the whole B Corp community and be certified for things that we'd already been doing for years, but before social business or B Corp even existed. So talk about the B Corp certification and how that mm -hmm. works. Well, actually, start with what it is and then how okay. it works. Well, a B Corporation, in terms of certification, is that you are, as a bottom line, and you're if you're a Public corporations very different because you have a fiduciary responsibility to your stakeholders to return profit. But if you're a B Corp, you're incorporated as a B Corp, your fiduciary responsibility includes people, planet, and profit. So same thing as if you're just certified, that your focus is not just on creating profit, but you're serving people and planet. So you're basically not putting people and planet under the bus for profit. You're not doing profit by all means. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have to make a lot of hard choices at different times. But it means that what matters most is finding that delicate balance so, so that if you're bringing – I mean, when I started, you know, reusable bags, I didn't have a lot of competitors, and now there are lots. And many sell the, make them and sell them, sell them on the cheap. And so who knows where they're made, under what conditions those workers mm -hmm. are working on. You know, you have to think of – and what are the materials and what's polluting. You know, you have to think of – it's holistic. It's a holistic approach to business is what B Corps is. And we actually are a B Corps certified best for the world, I think, in the five years running. Mm. So you, what you're really suggesting here is if you're starting or running a business, there are a lot of end games. Profit can be the most important if that's what you choose. Something mm -hmm. else can be the most important. Right. I'm just wondering in your conversations with other business owners, kind of reactions to that idea do you get? Well, it depends. If I'm in the B Corps world, in that community of social venture network, it's like, yeah, this is the direction we want to go in. This is the direction we're in. When I t speak to more traditional business owners 10 years ago, I say the conversation is much more different than it is now. 10 years ago, I might get like raised eyebrows and like, what? Why are you doing that? You know, why are you, why are you making Skepticism. things responsible? Yeah, why are you making things yes. responsibly? You can make another dollar on that if you just, you know, chain that person to the sewing machine. Now, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is catching on. This is important. A large segment of the market is actually not just looking at the price tag, but they're looking at who's making the item that they're purchasing. What's the integrity of the thing they're buying? And I think it started really a lot with food. Natural products industry was the thing that really kicked it off with people really saying, okay, what's in it for me? What's good for me? 
with natural and then certified organic. Of course, there's a skeptics, but just go with me on this. And now it's it's extended to, to brands. Um, there's toothpaste, so health and beauty. It goes into clothing. It goes into shoes. You know, name it. Yes. Well, there's going to be brands that do it because it's the right thing to do or their conscience or their mission drives them to do it. And there's a market for it. And it's yes. profitable. Well, what I was going to say is there's going to be do, be other brands that do the same thing or it looks to be the same, but they're really doing it because they see there's a market for it. But either way, the world's a better place for it. Um, I would say yes and no, because I think the people who are doing the reusable bags and they're not producing things responsibly or clothing manufacturers who are you know, ignoring labor laws and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They're not adding to the, the value equation. Right. I meant other there will be companies that do everything they can. Oh, absolutely. Right. Because Always. not because they're deeply committed to it, but they see their customers are deeply committed to it. And they know that if they don't play by those rules, then well, isn't it's that going great? To hurt their so that's, yeah, that's, no, that's great. That's my point. It, it, it yeah, is. Yeah. Whether they're committed or not, if they're doing the right thing, the end result. 100%. Well, and if they're listening to their customers, they're doing what they should do. I mean, in the beginning, we weren't listening to our customers because the market hadn't been created. We were part of that market creation. Yes. We listen to our our customers more now because they're, some of them are even ahead of us. Yes. So when people are shopping for eco bags, do mm-hmm. they buy them directly from your website? Do they get them from retail outlets? How do you find your average customer finds you? Um, okay, most of it is online, our website. We've actually been on the web since it started, and I have so many stories about that. But, <laughs> um, but we're also sold in stores nationwide um, and internationally. We have distributors overseas, and we are also carried by some major brands. You know, in New York City, if you want to support the, the public radio, WNYC, we've been doing their bags for about 20 years. I mean, we're, I went to the theater last night. And in line, in front of me, was a woman carrying one of our bags that we did for Cowgirl Creamery out in um, uh, on the West Coast. Hmm. I mean, I always see my bags when I go to New York City. It's pretty cool. I mean, I, all, I have to say, I see at least one every time I'm in, I'm in the city, walking on the streets. But you've also made a point of, of using the bags as an educational tool and educating people about things like fair wages and fair labor. Yep, absolutely, 100%. So tell us how yeah, that good works. good marketing. Well, you know, in the beginning, we had a hang tag that said fair wage, fair labor, and we just thought that was important, so we, you know, articulated it. I have to say, about eight years ago, we were like, nobody cares. Let's just take that off. That's valuable space. And But we left it on because we kind of didn't get around to it. And the next thing you know, people really do care about that. I think they care about it a lot. I think it's, yeah. it distinguishes yeah. you from, from somebody yeah. else, right? Well, I mean, but that's what happens when you're a market leader. When you're creating markets and you're, you're at the front end of the trends. And I say a trend leads to a lifestyle just leads to how you live your life, right? When you're at the front end, you're like, is this going to work? Are they listening? Does anybody care? But if you're, if you really matter matters to you as the business owner and you promote it, you'll find your tribe, just like Seth Godin says. you It's not about find, appealing to everybody right now. It's about yes. finding the people who will be your fans. And the people who are your fans, that's what it's about because they're going to take it to their communities. Yes. And that's how change is going to be made. Yeah, and that has way more power than you could ever, a way bigger universe than you could ever connect yeah. with on your own. Yeah, it's no longer about talking at people. It's about them talking about you and you hearing the conversation and saying thank you and celebrating them because they're carrying your message much farther than you ever could. And that's where, like, the magic of tiny business is. Because if you – I always said if you plant a seed, right, you can't – you don't really know how much it will grow, but you nurture it. 
I mean, you may have hopes and dreams of it going to be huge or, or mid-size or whatever, but, you know, do you ever plant a tree and you're like, oh, that was supposed to be the whole front yard or vice versa. <laughs> Why is that taking up my yard, you know? Yes, exactly right. I'm talking with Sharon Rowe. She's the CEO and founder of EcoBags, ecobags.com. I, I want to change gears and I want to bring go back to the book. Okay, great. Uh, so first of all, and I want to connect this with WPO as well, because oh, sure. as part of the Women Presidents Organization, mm-hmm. you're meeting with and, uh, you know, having professional relationships with other women business owners all the time. Mm-hmm. I want to know what I as a business owner should know about my existing business today relative to what you've written in The Magic of Tiny Business. And what kinds of conversations about tiny business do you have with your fellow members of WPO? What I'd say, and it's in the book, is in the world of business, there's a lot of humor. (laughs) I actually have a lot of cartoons in the book by a New Yorker cartoonist. There's a lot of probes to go deeper as to why you're doing what you're doing and setting priorities. And if you don't know what you want, at least list what you don't want. Because if you're in the driver's seat, you can drive the bus. If you're not in the driver's seat, you're not driving. That it's just as important to say no to something that it is to say yes that you should carefully, and that's at every stage of a business, and that you should carefully consider who your partners are and make sure they're in alignment with what you want and where you want to go. And in the book, there's some really solid brass tack stuff about, you know, cash flow, managing the energy that you put into your business in terms of cash and resources, and how do you do that, and how do you do that so that every day, if you decide you're going to leave your office at 5.30, you leave at 5.30, Hmm. and you don't work on weekends, and you don't work at night. Now, that was my personal mandate, right? It may not be for someone else. Certainly, you know, you can't go into real estate and say that. (laughs) Well, you can, and you just won't be very successful. Mostly. Well, yeah, yeah, you won't be very successful based on what we know about it now. Who yes. knows? There might be a disruptor out there, right? Yeah, I'm sure there is. How long I'm have sure, you been a member yeah. of WPO? Well, WPO is great. I've been a member since I think 2007, maybe, because mm-hmm. I went through the whole recession with this group of women. <laughs> we were all sitting there watching the bottom fall out together and a lot of businesses transforming because of technology and a lot of women who had businesses as long as mine um, just saying what's going on you know rapid transformation now in terms of the internet access to customers transparency with your employees in terms of you know your P&L your expenses bonuses culture just think about it in the last 10 years it's just been amazing so in the WPO, what's been so amazingly valuable is sitting at a table with other women who have businesses approximately the same size. There's a range, right? Chiming in on the same topics in terms of HR, cash flow, and and being in a room where they go, yeah, I get that. Because it's not your husband or your partner saying, oh, okay, you've been saying this for five years, (laughs) you know, fix it. Or your friend or neighbor who doesn't want to talk about that. They'd rather just go for a walk and look at the flowers. You know, you, it's a peer-to-peer advisory. That's, it's, there's so much value there because I, we're not networking. We're actually exchanging ideas and experiences in order to help each other and celebrate I, each other so that you know, all boats rise, basically. I would imagine that accountability is a big part of it, that uh, you know, sometimes within your company it's easy for people to let you slide on things, but in this environment maybe they don't let you slide. Right, exactly. Yeah, a lot of accountability. And it also enforces the amount of accountability you can bring to your office and in that culture 
apply. So almost like executive learning, but on a peer-to-peer basis, Mm. Um, not just from the women, other people's experiences, but from the experiences, you know, the speakers we bring in, the conferences, et cetera, that, you know, maybe some light bulbs go off. It's not always the big things either. It's the little tweaks. She's Sharon Rowe. She's the CEO and founder of EcoBags, ecobags.com, on Instagram, at ecobags underscore US. She's at Sharon Rowe underscore Rowe is R-O-W-E. She's also the author of the book, The Magic of Tiny Business. You don't have to go big to make a great living. Sharon, I want to thank you for joining us. And more importantly, I want to thank you for doing what you've been doing since 1989. Because as you said, you started out to have a business because it was something that was important to you. And you really have been instrumental in part of a global movement that has made a big difference in the world around us. Thank you so much for doing everything you've done. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I mean, I'm, and I'm very humbled because when I see other people using their own bags at the store, I just sort of get this little little buzz. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and actually, here's, a, here's something. I don't know. If, there was a study done. I can't remember who because I can't attribute it, but it was a marketing study say, saying that in the last 10 years, the two most significant shifts in behavior were turning off the water when you brush your teeth and bringing your bag to the store. <laughs> wow. Thank you for yeah. doing that. <laughs> so I was like, woohoo! <laughs> Pretty exciting, yeah. Well, it's, it, 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 I'm sure after almost 30 years, it's it's remarkable to look back and say, you know, I started that, you know, maybe in the spare bedroom or at the kitchen table or what have you, and to have built the business you have and had the impact on, on the earth around us. I mean, that's, that's yeah. going to be well, one of the most gratifying things. Well, what I realized when I was writing the book is that I've kind of found my stage, Remember, I started as an actor. <laughs> That's really brilliant, actually. That's I found really my brilliant. stage. Yeah. Right. Wow. And it's surrounded with reusable shopping bags. And it's only good, good juju, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's, it's really positive. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you. Thank you for interviewing me. Thanks for listening to the WPO on Forbes Books Radio. To find out more about the Women Presidents Organization, please go to womenpresidentsorg.com. To find out more about Forbes Books, go to forbesbooks.com.